Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I felt convicted to issue out a message to all who are listening to these podcasts from home uh, that if you're not a part of Rungi First Baptist Church, that I am not your pastor and that these messages are designed to be a supplement to your daily walk with God, not a substitution for the church. I strongly encourage you to stay in fellowship with other believers through the local church. And if you're a part of Rungi FBC, then we can't wait to see you when you return. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17, because this message is entitled, What is that supposed to mean? Does the Bible ever confuse you? Sometimes when we read things in Scripture, they don't seem to make much sense. Now, I know there have likely been times when God has used me to explain something during a sermon that perhaps you didn't understand at first, or maybe even to bring clarity to something that was confusing but please don't believe for a second that there are not times when I don't understand something that I've read. The Bible can be very cryptic at times, and there have been multiple occasions when I've had to go to others for help. For example, I was deeply confused by the Beatitudes when I first studied them. I mean, how in the world is a person poor in spirit? I mean, how does that even make sense? I didn't understand the Beatitudes until someone helped to explain them to me. How exactly does someone blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? That's another one of those things that got me. Jesus said that that was the only sin that we wouldn't be forgiven for is when we, when we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So how do I make sure that I, I never do that? I don't want to do that. So how do I just make sure? What does that even mean? My secretary, Sean, brought me something the other day that stumped me. Um, we don't believe... Uh, a person is saved through baptism, nor do we believe that there is anything special or holy about the water that they are baptized in. Um, we don't practice the use of, of holy water during our church ordinances. Yet she showed me a passage in Numbers 5.17 where holy water is used to determine the guilt or innocence of a woman who is suspected of committing adultery. I mean, what are, what are we supposed to do with that? So I just want to throw out some examples. The Bible can be very confusing at times. And that's not even considering the use of King James, you know, the King James Version. With all of these and nows and confusing structures of sentences, it's easy to get baffled. The King James Bible was originally written by mixing English and Latin together, which is why it often sounds strange. Nobody talks that way today. Nobody comes into the kitchen for breakfast and says, Hark! Letteth go of mine ego. No, I mean, that's it's silly. So the Bible is very, very cryptic, and we're not even using the King James Version. So what I want to do today is I want to tip to bring a, a little bit of clarity to, to passages that might confuse us. Um, I'm not going to do this by trying to answer all the questions that we have about Scripture, because even if I knew all the answers, which I don't, we would literally be here forever. No, what I want to do today is I want to try to explain the process of what I do when I'm confused by Scripture and I want to try to use that process by looking at some of the most confusing words Christ ever said. Before I explain the process that I use when I'm confounded by Scripture, I do want to issue out a disclaimer. If you're confused about something that you read in the Bible, that's not a good enough reason to throw it down and forget about reading it. Treasure hunters must be willing to dig in order to find gold. And the same is true for Christians who are searching out spiritual gems. In order to discover what a passage is talking about, we must first be willing to study Scripture in order to find out what it means. If we say, you know, I'm not interested in, in understanding, or, you know, it's too difficult to understand, that's not because the Bible is too difficult. It's because we don't really want to study it. 
If that's the case, there's a whole different issue going on. An issue that I believe God wants to address. It's something that he gives us through the stirring of the power of the Holy Spirit. Studying scripture is extremely valuable because through it, God wants to reveal more about himself and more about us. For God knows us better than we know ourselves. So only if we have a hunger to study God's word, something that comes from him, and a desire to understand what it means, can we begin the process to understanding the passages that confuse us. So let's begin with this process. The first step in the process to understanding a passage we don't understand is always prayer. We ask God to reveal the meaning to us. If we believe that God is real and that he's alive and that his word's alive, asking him to deliver what we're searching for is always the most critical step. How God reveals it to us is up to him, but I'm a firm believer that if we ask, he will answer. John has taught us multiple times in the gospel that God is the one who enables us to receive truth. Jesus said in John 6, 65, This is why I told you that no one can come to the Son unless he has first been enabled by the Father. If we are ever confused by Scripture, it is because something is hidden from us, and thus God is the one who needs to reveal it to us. So, the first step to understanding Scripture is always prayer. Next, we should identify what is unclear about the passage, and we do this by asking specific questions about which we, that which we don't understand. Now, the idea is to ask smaller, specific questions, and in searching for answers in these smaller questions, we will get a bigger picture as to what this passage is talking about. Um, we can also look for what we do understand about the passage. What is clear about the passage? What, what is God's word already revealed to us? We then use these parts that are clear to help explain the things that aren't. We must also look for the clues that we find in surrounding passages. Skipping this step is always what leads to taking verses out of context. We must use this question, what is the bigger picture? What, what do I understand about the surrounding verses to help us to understand the parts that are in question? For example, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And that's pretty cut, cut and dry, right? Well, if that's the case, then why does Jesus tell us in almost the same breath, mind you, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine? Wouldn't that require us to make a judgment about people that we should trust and the people that we shouldn't? We have to look at the context of the verse. So um, we've also been given the privilege of using other parts of Scripture to help explain the meaning. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible will not contradict itself because every word that God speaks is truth. So if you want to understand what a passage is talking about, you should use other passages of Scripture to help clarify. So, for example, on the judging issue, we can look where Jesus said, Do not judge, but in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul commands the church not to judge those who aren't of God, those who are outside the church. But he tells us we have a responsibility to judge those who are. He says we are to judge those who are on the inside. God is the one who judges those who are on the outside. So we can use cross-referencing or looking at other passages of Scripture to help us better understand something that is confusing. Now, the final step in, in the process that I typically use is I use trusted, trusted resources for help. One such source is a commentary that I trust. Now, um, many, many times people have come to me and said during our study of John, you know, I just didn't understand that passage until you helped explain it to me. 
which I would say, well, I didn't understand it either until I dug into a commentary that I bought by the late R.C. Sproul. The, the issue here is that, that we can, a lot of times we think that, you know, I'm smart enough to figure this out, but, but we don't have to be the smartest people in the room. Plenty of brilliant men and women have asked the very same questions that we are asking and have believed uh, it was their purpose in life to help shed light on the answers that they received. Now, neither I nor the church leadership um, have all the answers, but we too want to be one of those many resources that you use when you have questions. You can go to a commentary. You can come to us. Please don't think for a second that you're bothering me or wasting my time when you have questions about the Bible. One of the things that brings me the most joy is not only finally answers to questions that I have about Scripture, but also to help those who are searching to find answers to their questions. You're not bothering me. That's what I'm here for. So now that I've explained my approach to understanding Scripture, let us use this approach to take a look at today's passage because it, like many others, can be very, very confusing. Let's, uh, let's read John chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you, have, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be with you. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would reveal yourself in this passage of Scripture. Father, the parts that are confusing, that you would just bring clarity through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, God, that we might apply this teaching to our hearts and to our lives to bring you the most glory. We love you, Father, and just thank you for your many blessings. Ask you guide and direct us through this passage and through this message. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure if you, you noticed what I just did there, but that was the first step in the process. I prayed that God would reveal truth to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. So step one is complete. That's what we do. We, we go to the Lord. He enables us to understand. Now let's address the parts of this passage that are confusing for just a second. Here's something troubling. How could we possibly do greater things than Christ? I mean, he walked on water. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. He even defeated death himself. How could we possibly do greater works than him? And what is up with Jesus promising that we will receive whatever we ask for in his name? I mean, is Jesus saying that all we have to do is throw the tag on the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, and, and we get a blank check that God has to cash? I mean, how do we even pro approach verse 15? He says, you know, we must, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. Does that mean that if we have love for God, we are obligated to carry out his commandments? Well, these are good questions. Let's address what is clear about this passage. It's clear that Jesus is communicating that we are to have belief in him, we are to love him, and we are to look for Him to him for our provision. It's clear that he cares for us and has made, uh, complete, he's made complete in us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's how he provides for us. It's also clear that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is only for believers. 
Well, let's look at the context of these verses. In the previous verses, Jesus has just finished explaining he's about to leave his disciples. Now, this is a very troubling time for them, so Jesus is giving them these words to comfort them. He even tells his disciples that they must look to him in faith, and if that they can't look forward in faith, that they must look back at all the works that he's done. These men got to see do, uh, him do works that only God himself could do. So these works were to serve as reminders when they began to doubt and question him. Now, this is when he brings in his statement in verse 12. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. How can a person do greater works than Jesus? Well, keep in mind that Jesus didn't say that we would do greater works than him but that we would do greater works than these. Now, why is that important? And we're going to utilize cross-referencing at this point and look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let me turn there real quick. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The, um, the apostle Luke was the one that wrote the book of Acts. He wrote Luke, and he wrote, writes Acts. And so in verses 1 and 2, he's writing a man named Theopolis. He said, the first account, talking about the book of Luke, I, com I composed... Theophilus, all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. What he said was all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, Jesus began doing works in the book of Luke, and he continues doing works in the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says you will do greater works because I go to the Father. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In other words, Jesus is saying God in person, a.k.a. Jesus, uh, was limited to the geographical distance that was reasonable for him to walk. However, God in spirit, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, isn't limited to geographical boundaries. He can be in all places in all times. He'll be in all believers. Thus, Jesus will do greater things. Jesus was limited to Judea and Galilee. His disciples, on the other hand, carried out the gospel to the entire Roman Empire that had that had, had has continued to spread uh, the gospel today to the four corners of the earth. I love what J.D. Greer says on this, a commentator. He says that we should ask ourselves this question. Do I see ministry as something that I'm doing for God or something that God is doing through me? See, the Holy Spirit was the key to the early church's explosive growth in ministry. He is the key to our ministry today. We are not greater than Christ, and Jesus wasn't saying that we're going to kick him off the throne. He's saying that he is greater in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why we can do greater things than the things that he did. It's the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son? Is this Jesus giving us a blank check to spend on our enjoyment? And if so, what about all the times we've asked for things and God hasn't given them to us? Wouldn't that mean that Jesus is a liar? Well, understanding the answer to this question really requires us to have some spiritual maturity. In that, we shouldn't pray for a million dollars and go buy a lottery ticket. Scripture speaks to as, as to why we don't always get the things that we ask for. James 4.3 says, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you might spend it on your pleasures. 
See, Jesus isn't giving us freedom to write checks that the Father has to cash. Notice he says in this verse that he is that the purpose is so that the Son is glorified in the Father. The disciples once asked Jesus how they should pray, and Jesus taught them to pray for his will, the Father's will, to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this lines up with what Jesus prayed himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So when we pray, we must follow Christ's example and ask for anything that is within the parameters of God's will, that which brings God glory. He says in John 15, 17, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. To abide in Christ means to be one with him and his will, which is to glorify the Father. This does not mean that we can go out and ask for anything and everything that we want, and God has to bring it to us. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence which we, which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What is God's will? Jesus tells us that the, the Son might be glorified in him. Well, how should we approach Jesus' words that if we love him, we will keep his commandments? And this is this passage, is it saying that we are obligated to obey, to show our love? Is that what it's saying? Or is it saying that if we truly love him, obedience will be the result? Now, we must exercise caution with which, with which one of these interpretations we settle upon because if this verse isn't handled correctly, it can damage our faith. Let's look at the former for just a second. If Are we obligated to show our love? Um, could you imagine being in a marriage where you only served out of obligation? You only showed affection out of obligation. Now, I know a guy who framed his marriage license above his bed so that his wife could never refuse him. And I just have one thing to say to that. How romantic. It's ridiculous. If, if I love them, I'm now obligated to mow the yard, wash the dishes, and do the laundry? That's not the picture of love that we see in Scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It's not, it's not this idea that, that I have to do this because I love you, so I guess I'll go do it. No, when we act that way, it's because we love ourselves more and we want to throw a pity party about it. And that's not the picture we see in Scripture. Jesus said in John 14, 23 through 24, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He who does not leave me does not who does not love me does not keep my word. Excuse me. In other words, if you love me, you'll remember and guard the things that I have said. Now that's just something you cannot do out of obligation. That's something that you only do out of response. Let's take another approach. John 3.19 says, This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Those who love darkness don't have an obligation to darkness. That's where they want to be. They enjoy the darkness. They desire the darkness. They prefer the darkness. They don't love the darkness out of duty. They crave it. Loving out of duty isn't love. 
And this is true for those who love darkness. It's also true for those who love the light. When you love something or someone, you will long to be with it or them. This is not an action you have to force. Jesus asked Peter in John 21, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know all things. And Jesus responded, feed my sheep. You see, the ministry we do out of love for Jesus is not a heavy burden. It's something that brings us joy. It brings us joy because it is fulfilled in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings comfort to his disciples by explaining that although he is going to the Father, he is also sending them a helper. Now, the Greek word for helper here is, is parakleton, which uh, is where we get the English word paraclete. Um, and it is translated as advocate or comforter or counselor. It is fitting that Jesus referred to this advocate, comforter, and counselor as the spirit of truth because that's exactly what he does. You see, sometimes we are profoundly confused by the words that we read in Scripture. What does that even mean? Well, it is the Holy Spirit who reveals this truth to us, which is why it's so important to begin digging for spiritual treasure by asking for God's help. When Jesus was in the upper room com comforting his disciples, he tells them that they will soon receive the Holy Spirit to abide in them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And he also says, the spirit of truth the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus, he's bringing comfort to his disciples and throughout the Old Testament, we see the very same bless the, 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 the passing of the torch, this blessing of moving on to the next generation. For example, we see the, the patriarchal blessing where um, you know a father blesses his son. We see that in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and Joseph. We see the same thing whenever Moses passes leadership of the people uh, into the hands of Joshua. Kings routinely pass their crowns down to their sons. It's, it's this legacy of living on through them. And here we see the very same dynamic happening in the upper room. Jesus was about to leave, and he turned the leadership of the earthly church not over to the disciples, but over to the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we do even greater things in Christ. We ask and we receive in his name, and we keep his commandments. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we see and we hear. It is the Holy Spirit that brings clarity when there is confusion. And it is the Holy Spirit who leads the church to bring God glory. Not understanding scripture isn't an excuse to stop studying it. If we could understand it on our own, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. So instead of walking away, we must get on our knees and pray that God will help us to see what he wants us to see. We must pray, ask questions, look for what is clear, look for clues in the surrounding context, uh, use cross-referencing of other verses, and use the resources that are around us to understand. But let us not forget the greatest resource, the promise of Christ, that we would receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, so that we might have the parts that are confusing to us revealed 
to us. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.